Good to see everyone this morning, and welcome, if you'll bow your heads and pray with me, please. Father, we thank you for the opportunity to gather. Father, we thank you for the many blessings of the day. Father, we pray that you'll let us clear our minds and our hearts during this time, that we'll be tentative to what Phil brings in our lessons. Father, I pray you'll touch him and use him. These things we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Good morning. Feels like I haven't seen you forever. <laughs> Where have you been? Wait. Where have I been? Yeah. I feel like we have so much to do today to catch up. Uh, I catch up, just reconnect and fill you in on a few things. It's going to be a little hodgepodge of this and that. Uh, I always feel like a child who's misbehaved that has to explain themselves when they're not here for a while so like where have you been child um, well those of you who've been in the class for a while know that I often disappear for a couple of weeks in February uh, one week I I go to a board meeting um, I'm on a board called the Ecclesia project which is a network of uh, pastors and scholars and lay people and congregations from around the country and outside the United States too that are working for for church renewal and um, we met in San Francisco two weeks ago uh, it's actually warmer here than it was in San Francisco so um, although you didn't have the Pacific Ocean here so there was that so I didn't suffer too much uh, it was a beautiful weekend out there and it was uh, actually preached twice at two different churches on Sunday. Um, so it was a busy uh, weekend. Uh, some lovely people out there. Um, beautiful churches. Uh, I've, I've been out there before and worked with some of these churches. Uh, one of the congregations I may have told you about before. Six or seven years ago, I did a, a weekend retreat for them. Just to give you an idea of what a remarkable congregation this is. It's a congregation of about 150 people uh, in San Francisco. Uh, largely uh, Asian American congregation and uh, for that weekend retreat 150 members there were 146 people there for the weekend retreat so uh, when they go on retreat they they take it pretty seriously it's not really optional in their life together and uh, they're they're fun people to work with they're interesting but they don't take themselves too seriously um, so it was good to be with them again in a couple of the congregations uh, that also have relationship and then last week, um, last weekend, I made my annual trip to the uh, St. Meinrad uh, Arch Abbey and Monastery in southern Indiana, where I take my spirituality and everyday life class in the spring for a three-day immersion experience in monastic life. So we go hang out with the monks for three days 
uh, pray with them five times a day, starting about 5.30 in the morning. And um, those prayer services last anywhere from brief 15-minute services to an hour, uh, praying the psalms, singing the psalms, the, the music and the singing is, is uh, heart-healing in uh, all kinds of ways. It's a beautiful experience, and it's, it's a beautiful thing to be able to talk with the monks and uh, hear their wisdom. Uh, I've been doing this for at St. Minard for about 15 years, and so I've got to know a number of the monks over the years. And uh, every year, this year, one of my favorite monks, uh, Father Vincent, I was a little concerned, wasn't even sure I was gonna be able to see him because I'd gotten word that he'd been in the infirmary for three months and um, they weren't sure he was gonna make it. And so um, when I got there, I checked in on his office, is just down the hall from where we check in, and he was in there. Uh, I was really pleased, I was and surprised. Uh, but he uh, sort of tottered out to me. I knew he'd had uh, some health problems. And uh, he just had this huge smile on his face and welcomed us there and told us that uh, one of the uh, provisions of his parole, as he called it, from the infirmary, was that uh, he, had to be, he had to be willing to ride around on his electric scooter all over the monastic uh, campus. And so all weekend we saw him on this little red uh, electric uh, cart. Uh, going what seemed to me way too fast <laughs> uh, for a man in his early 80s. Um, yeah, so it was a good weekend to see friends and to, one of the delights for me uh, was that uh, our middle daughter, Catherine, um, is in the class. Uh, she's senior at Milligan, so she's in my, I don't get to teach her very often. That's probably good for both of us. And, uh, but she's in this class, and so she got to go on the trip, and she's heard about St. Minard for way too long, and so it was fun for her to finally uh, get to meet some of my friends and to introduce some of my friends at St. Minard to her. So that was, that was fun to share that uh, experience with her. You were in good hands while I was gone. Um, I hope you appreciated hearing from Bob Cantler and hearing the report from the Futures team. Um, Futures team is always anxious to get the word out to this group. Uh, you have a reputation for being some, still some of the movers and shakers uh, in the church, and so it's important for you all to be uh, informed. And um, I did read the report that was in the email that got sent out, came up to speed a little bit about what was talked about. Sounds like some interesting plans uh, for the future, some important things happening here at Muncie Church, and hope that you'll be supportive with your prayers uh, and uh, your presence. And then last week, uh, Kay Arnold was here, and I hated to miss Kay. I talked with her on the phone. I'm grateful for Liz Hughes uh, suggesting that. A number of you had asked me when we started this, um, would it be possible to hear from someone uh, in hospice because you had a sense that they would have something wise to say. And uh, I checked, and I know that some of you even in here uh, either have experience um, or know people. And so I checked with Liz, and Liz hooked us up with Kay Arnold, who was here last weekend. And I talked with Kay for about an hour uh, before I left, um, just to make sure she understood what we were doing and what we would hope that she would do. And uh, the little feedback that I've got from people since I've come back sounds like it was a good, a good day, a good morning last week. So I hope that you were grateful for that. 
Um, and uh, she sounded like she she had some uh, both empowering and uh, encouraging things to say um, about about hospice. So what I want to do today, in the time left, is just I want to bring some uh, closure uh, to this series. Um, I feel like I've been gone a long time. I, I know it'd be easy just to kind of let the, the series fizzle out and that would be fine with a lot of you. Um, but I, I do feel like I'm one of those, I don't believe most things can be tied up neatly with a, a bow. Um, but I do want to just say a couple things, uh, primarily as a, as a reminder. Um, and then I want to want to preview just very briefly what we'll be doing next. Okay. Um, so let's, um, in fact, why don't, why don't I do the preview first? Because that's not going to take too long. Um, that way you'll have something hopeful, right? <laughs> like you know something new is coming. Uh, and here, um, I, should, I should be quick to say that I'm taking, um, some of you know because you, you hang out at Panera Bread. I see some of you at Panera Bread uh, occasionally. Uh, some of you may know that uh, Mark Good and I have breakfast at Panera Bread maybe once a month. Um, I don't really know what that's about. Uh, I think we both think it's good for both of us, but we're not sure why. <laughs> um, but we just sort of talk and visit and have breakfast together, and it just seems good for both of us. So, um, But last time we met, uh, he told me about what the next sermon series was going to be for Lent, what the church was going to be doing in Lent, and asked me if I would consider um, sort of piggybacking on that sermon series and teaching some of that same material in Sunday school as a way of reinforcing it and extending it and deepening uh, the congregational experience of that Lenten study. And, you know, it's sort of like people feel like when the president comes and asks you to do something, you don't know how to say no. And so Mark's never asked me to do anything like that before. Um, and it just, just felt like the thing to do. I, mean, I didn't even know what the series was, um, but I trusted Mark. Um, and so, so that's what we're going to do. Um, you may have seen in the, if you open up your email and looked at the, the March update, that there's going to be a series during Lent called uh, What Really Matters. What Really Matters. And it's based on a book. You're not going to be reading the book, although you're going to buy it, you can, I guess. Um, by Tom, uh, Tom Bickerton. Uh, some of you may refer to Thomas Bickerton. He's a, uh, a, one of the bishops in the United Methodist Church. Um, he's originally from West Virginia and has served in uh, the Northeast. As I think when this book was written, he was in uh, Western Pennsylvania. It's a, it's a fascinating title of the book. It's very clever. It's called, What Are We Fighting For? And if you're clever, and I wasn't originally, uh, that can be read two different ways, right? Um, it's, you can read it one way, like what, what you may have said to your children or grandchildren when you were irritated when they were arguing with each other. It's like, what are you fighting for? Like, like, what are you bickering about? Stop it, right? But it can also be read, what are you fighting for, right? Uh, what's worth fighting for? What really matters? 
And Bakerton's premise is um, he is concerned, like many people are in the United Methodist Church, um, that the divisions in the church are partly, they're complicated, of course. Any kind of disunity, any kind of turmoil is always complicated. Uh, but Pinkerton thinks that if we're to move past the sort of uh, bickering and division, that we'll need, to, we'll need to focus on what really matters. Because too often, because if we, if we can focus and agree about what really matters, then maybe we'll be in a place to sort through and decide what to do with the things that we, we care about, but may not be essential. And so what Mark would like us to focus on during the weeks of Lent, which begins this week, right? Wednesday's Ash Wednesday. Uh, so beginning next Sunday, uh, we're going to be taking some time working through uh, these uh, six chapters. And again, I'll be um, supplementing that material uh, with some ways that I hope will complement what you hear in the Sunday service uh, as a way of trying to get us to focus on what really matters as a congregation. Um, because we'll need that. I think we, the church has always needed that. And the church certainly needs that today in the midst of um, what feels like really kind of anxiety-producing division. I mean, I think a lot of people are anxious about the future of the United Methodist Church, and not just the United Methodist Church. Uh, a lot of these uh, turmoils, a lot of these, uh, the, this uh, unsettledness extends all across uh, the church in the United States. And so that, that's where we're headed. Again, it's intended to be um, focused on the positive. We're not gonna be talking about we're arguing about, we're not going to be fighting about uh, all the you know, issues A through Z uh, that might divide us. We're really trying to focus positively on what, what really matters as Christians. Uh, what's core to who we are? And, and can we come around that? And can we remind ourselves of that? I don't think you can do that too often, honestly. It's just so easy. Um, just like it is in any family, right? I mean, if you think of a congregation like a family, I mean, how many times have I found myself looking up and thinking how easy it is uh, to get focused and to uh, get the whole family turned inside out about things that, once you step back and look at them, are pretty insignificant. Um, or even if they're important, they're, they're not the core to who we are as a family. And so that's what we're going to be doing, okay? Trying to focus on what really matters and asking ourselves, what are we fighting for? So um, I hope that will be okay. If you don't like it, talk to Mark. And, uh, <laughs> I'm going to plead. I'm going to plead the Nuremberg defense, which is I was just following orders. <laughs> As I 
start just to say a few things to close out the last uh, the last session of our series on dying and caring for the dying. Um, Jack Lawson just right before class gave me a book that he and Judy had written a children's book that I didn't know about, wished I'd had, um, called Eric the Last Leaf. And uh, apparently Jack and Judy wrote this for their children. Uh, and it's a, a very quiet, tender little story about dying, right? Uh, about what it's like to be a leaf and the joy of being a leaf and then living through the changes of fall and into the winter and holding on. Uh, it's a, it's a, I, I was, uh, it's a beautiful little reflection uh, on the joy of living and the, and the challenge of dying. And I thought, what a beautiful thing to be able to read to children, <laughs> right? Uh, it's, it's, it's subtle enough for children, uh, but wise enough for adults. So thank you, Jack and, and Judy, for, uh, I'll, I probably won't get to, I never get to the back in time to put anything back there, but maybe I'll give it to Tom, and Tom can put it on the back at the end. So those who want to uh, look at it can, I'm assuming if people want copies of it, they can let you know. Yeah. So the first thing I want to say as we bring some closure to this series is the first thing I want to say is, is thank you for trusting me enough to bring this up. Um, I don't take that for granted. Um, I really don't. And um, it would have, uh, honestly, I would have been most happy to talk about something else. I really would. Uh, but it just seemed to me, rightly or wrongly, uh, that this was something that a group this thoughtful and wise. And old. No. <laughs> I was going to say mature. <laughs> Yeah. And some old, apparently. <laughs> that we, and as Christians, right? I'm not, I'm not, we're not having these lessons at the public library, right? Although we could, but we're not, right? We're having them as brothers and sisters in Christ who follow a risen Lord who has conquered death. So that seems like it gives us a place, the space, to talk about this, even though it's hard. And so thank you. I really mean that. Thank you for being willing. Um, I know it's only been, I think, five weeks, but it seems like five months, I'm sure, to all of you. Um, but thank you for being willing to, to venture uh, into this conversation, um, if for no other reason than to begin a conversation outside of this class. 
in whatever context that you are, uh, where it seems right uh, to have that conversation uh, in your families, amongst your friends, uh, not only about dying ourselves, but also um, how to be present to uh, and care for the dying. All of us have been in those situations already. All of us will continue to be in those situations. And, you know, there's no, there's no manual for how to be with, how to be present to someone who's dying. And so just to have a few weeks to just think out loud together about that, I hope. Uh, my hope was, would be that that was life-giving. That, that was life-giving. Uh, that these conversations about dying would be life-giving, not morbid, not depressing. But I also know that it does stir up lots of things. Right. Um, and so, um, thank you for trusting me as we trust God to, to venture into this. And really, all I want to say uh, to close is just to remind us uh, what Nowen, uh, we read Henry Nowen's book, many of you, uh, while we were studying this, his book, Our Greatest Gift, was just to be reminded of what moved him uh, to write this book, which was just the sense that, this surprising sense, that somehow our dying could be a gift both to us and to others, which is so contrary to everything, every voice I hear in American culture. And our, our dying could be a gift. Um, for one, um, it, it focuses, right? Um, it focuses on what we were just talking about, what's important. When I was with the monks this past weekend, um, when I was talking to Father Vincent, when I just met him um, and told him how grateful I was that he was well enough to be back, and he said, yeah, I was in the infirmary for, for three months, and he said, you know, two of my fellow brother monks uh, died in the infirmary while I was there, and he said, we usually go in threes. Uh, and uh, he said, and you know, he said, I, I was ready. He said, I'm, I'm ready. Um, that's part of what we do. And um, even though he didn't say this at that moment, I, I know enough about uh, Benedictine monasticism to know that um, one of the one of the sayings in the Rule of St. Benedict, which is their little guide that was written in the sixth century, still used in Benedictine monasteries all around the world, as a way of trying to imagine what the gospel looks like if lived out every day in community. Um, in chapter four of the Rule of Benedict, uh, Benedict gives about <coughs> 72 one-line, what he, what he calls tools for the craft of the spiritual life. He sort of imagines a tool shed, right? All of you, a lot of you have a tool shed, and you've got different tools hanging up, and, they, and you use them for different things. 
And Liz sent me two of these, and a lot of them, were, most of them are just scripture, just that has the Ten Commandments, he has other words of Jesus. And then, uh, I think it's right around number 47 or 48, uh, he has this one line that says, uh, keep death before your eyes daily. That's all he says, goes on to the next one. Keep death before your eyes daily. And Benedict doesn't intend that to be at all morbid. Uh, he just thinks it's one tool of the spiritual life. Because it's really easy for me in my daily life. I have to admit, most days, from the time I get up to the time I go to bed, I think, I don't think this consciously, but I act as though I'm going to live forever. <laughs> right? I mean, I'm just going to keep doing what I'm doing. I, if I stop to think about it, I know that's not true. Of course I do, and so do you. But in the daily busyness of my life, the plans I'm making and everything, I just assume I'm going to be doing this for a long time. I was having lunch with my friends. Some of you know that I have, I have three friends. <laughs> and uh, this is not counting Mark. You know, so maybe three and a half. Uh, but the three friends I have, um, because they're so dear to me and scarce, uh, I, have, I have lunch with them most Fridays. And uh, we eat at the, the Magic Walk there on Run Street, which uh, we love that little place that uh, dear woman there has taken care of us so well for about 10 years. And um, one of my friends looked up at me this past uh, two weeks ago and um, he said, how old are you going to be this year? <laughs> and I told him, and if I told you, it's like I'm a child. Right? <laughs> I said, I'm going to be 59. And he just, his face just turned white. I thought, what is that? <laughs> he goes, he just, he just lit the words, 59. Like, of course, he's, he's just turning 40. Um, yeah, yeah, I'm almost 60, and I'm not thinking about retirement yet. I hope I still have a few years left in me. Uh, but of course, I don't know that. I don't know that. I mean, I'm just making plans like, you know, left and right. Um, and there's nothing wrong with that. We, have, we need to make plans for the future, of course. But at least, at least once a day, I honestly think it would be healthy for me to keep death, to allow death to pass before my eyes, right? To be reminded that I'm not going to live forever and to let that focus me on life today. Right? To, to see that as life-giving. Because right? the truth of the matter is, if, if life on this earth lived forever, none of our choices would make any difference at all. I don't know if you've ever thought about that before or not. But if I had... If, I lived eternally on this earth, 
in my current body forever, any choice I made wouldn't matter at all. What, what would it count for? I could be friends with you, but what would that matter? Because I could be friends with everybody eventually. <laughs> right? Everybody who ever lived. Yeah, exactly. I mean, what would... I mean, giving yourself to something in this life matters precisely because you have one life and so do I. Right? And so when you and I slow down to be with someone who needs us, that matters precisely because we don't have anything other than this one life right now. Right? That gives it some poignancy. That makes it matter. That gives our life meaning and depth and character and texture. I think we often miss that. That's, a, that's something beautiful. And, and the prospect of death, however short or far that is, makes that possible. That brings my sight into focus into ways that I know at least I need. I need. And so, now one wants us to remember that uh, our dying and our prospect of our dying can actually be used by God for our good. Right here and now. It can make our life richer, deeper, more beautiful by being reminded with some frequency this basic truth we will die but of course now it also wants us to remember that that's not the whole story right uh, that's not the whole story um, and the truth of the matter is what comes after our death is as Paul says a great mystery. It's a great mystery. It's something about which I wish, you wish, I suspect, we knew more. I have all kinds of questions about what happens after I close my eyes for the last time. There's lots of things I'd like to know. There are days when I wish God had told us more. But we have what we have. And presumably, God believes that's enough. So, you recall that the, the initial sin in the garden was not being content with the enough that God had given. We wanted something that hadn't been given. And that's where I live every day. <laughs> Right, wanting more than what's been given. But God has given us God's very word that we are God's beloved. We, we, me, you, are God's beloved that we are held 
in God's hands, knowingly, lovingly, tenderly, and God will not let us go. That's what we have. That's what we know for sure. I can't say for sure what that will look like in the life after life after death. We can't say. We don't really know. But we have God's promise as embodied in the resurrected Jesus that we will live with God eternally. You know, now and tells that story that was related to him. Those of you who read the book, you'll probably recall it's a cute little story that he tells in the early part of the book when he's talking about two, two twins in the, in the womb of their mother. And they're having an argument, right? They didn't, they didn't wait till they were born to have an argument, right? And this, and um, the young, the little girl, infant, says, you know, you keep, you keep feeling, you feel those, those pains, those, that squeezing, uh, that kind of hurts. Uh, I'm, I'm thinking, I'm thinking that there's a mother out there and there's something outside of this very dark place. And the little boy says, that's stupid. <laughs> that's stupid. What's, this is fine. You know, this, this is not so bad. We get fed constantly through this tube. You know, it, you know, it's not perfect, but you know, and a mother, why would you think that? You've never seen a mother. <coughs> That's ridiculous. And she said, she says, well, but I just think there's more than this. I just think there must be more than this. And he says, why can't you be happy with what you have? Paul says in Romans that the whole, the whole earth, the whole creation is groaning with labor pains, waiting for its redemption. That includes us, right? Um, all of this pain and suffering, this, this is the labor pains of a new creation that I'm, I'm pretty much in the dark about, right? I'm pretty much in the dark about, um, but I believe that it's so. And I think you do too, or you wouldn't be here. And so, yes, the labor pains are, are difficult. And 
they're uncomfortable. But we worship and serve a God who gave us life, who will hold us in God's very hands when we breathe our last, and who will no doubt bring us renewed life at the day of the resurrection. This is what we believe in and trust in. And it makes it possible for us to embrace our own dying, to care for our brothers and sisters around us who, like us, are dying, and to do that with hope, to do that with confidence, and to, to treasure every day we have here, but to know that this is not the last word, that God has had the last word, and God has told us that nothing, nothing, nothing can separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Let's pray. Gracious God, we confess that many days we don't have all the answers to questions we'd like to have answered. And yet we would ask that by your spirit, by your grace, that you would empower us to trust you with our very lives and to trust you even in and with our dying, knowing that you can redeem even our dying and use it for your good purposes. May our recollection that we are creatures who have been given life by you and who will one day die in you May we treasure every precious gift and moment of life that you give us. May we honor those in our midst who are in the twilight of their years. May we hear their stories. May we hold their stories. May we continue to tell their stories. May we be moved by their faith and trust and may it inspire our own as we all finally make our journey home to your loving embrace. We pray this through the one who pioneered that path back home, Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen.